Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and my guest this week is Wonder Woman. Well, at least the very closest thing to Wonder Woman that I know. Anna Geary is an athlete, not just any old athlete, but one of the most decorated players in the history of Camogie, competing at the highest level. She has four All-Ireland wins to her name. For those of you listening outside Ireland, Camogie involves sticks, helmets and a hard ball that travels at about 100 miles an hour. It terrified the bejesus out of me as a kid. But Anna not only excelled at this tough sport, she gracefully danced her way to the final of Dancing with the Stars. She has become a much loved household name with a broadcasting career that spans sports punditing, if that's a verb, uh, to coaching on Ireland's fittest family. To say that Anna is very glamorous to boot is an understatement. Anna is also a qualified performance coach who shares her wisdom and workouts on Instagram as Anna G. Cork. You got to check her out. She's absolutely fab online and actually very welcome, Anna. And thank you very much for joining me today for Superbrain. You're a perfect guest because you're like thank a, you so much, Sabina. <laughs> like a superhero. Okay, so what I really want to kind of talk about actually is what you do on Instagram, because whilst there are like you just scroll through Instagram and there's tons of people doing fitness stuff and wellness stuff. Um, And what I love about you is about what you're doing with the fitness stuff is you do the fitness stuff, you set little challenges for people, you work out yourself, but you very much underscore that this is about being healthy and being fit and you also do a lot of posts around body image and body positivity mm-hmm. uh, that's something that you very consciously decided to do yeah like Sabine I think with the world of social media now for anyone that's on it the vast majority of people are affected by it in some way either in a positive way but equally in a negative way and I think sometimes we go on to social media and we're scrolling and I myself am guilty of this. What are we looking for? Like, you know, yeah. why are you scrolling? You know, and if we are in bad form or not feeling good about ourselves, we often find ourselves gravitating towards things that are going to end up self-sabotaging or we're going to actually end up feeling worse because if you're not feeling great about where you are in your body shape, maybe your jeans are a little bit tight, hands up there. I've been that person in the last 12 months. And you're looking at someone then that maybe is in the shape of their life because maybe them were caught for time in the last 12 months and they've allowed themselves in lockdown to maybe set themselves up in a healthy regime. Or we're comparing ourselves to people that aren't in the same life or environment as we are. 
I just saw that the other day, like, I don't know if you follow her.ie on, mm. on Instagram and they have nice stuff and interesting and, it, you know, it's light stuff and sometimes deeper stuff. But I've noticed lately they're showing and there was literally one before I came on here. Uh, Eva Longoria, I think it was, does this amazing trampoline routine while on a yacht, <laughs> do you know, like seriously, yes. seriously, yeah. you know, like I'm struggling to do my work. Very like and now I'm yeah. looking yeah. at their a 46 year old and she's not only trampolining a complex routine but it's on a yacht mm. but also what's really actually is starting to niggle me is in lockdown actually it's happened because for a lot of celebrities they've nothing to do you know and so they're doing these reveals so and so so and so 56 reveals her eight pack on Instagram and you kind of go okay could you please just show me so and so so and so actually doesn't have an eight pack she's fit she's healthy she's in the right weight and you know what fair play to her you're right in saying that like I a few months back I um started asking people around body image and I said when you think about the word fit what picture do you conjure up in your head and I asked people to be really honest and you know we did different polls and questions and I said does fit for you mean skinny does fit for you right. mean strong does fit for you mean you know a healthy person with a little bit of excess body like, what does it mean and the vast majority have said that when they think of a fit person they think of skinny, they think of average, right. they think of, you know, being really lean, no extra body fat. And like, that's not realistic. It's not a yeah. realistic portrayal of what anybody, male or female, is meant to look like. And unfortunately, we're bombarded, whether it's in tabloids, whether it's in social media, online, we're bombarded with this perfect body that probably less than 1% of people have. And also what people don't realize is like, you might get yourself into the shape of your life. But it's a very short term thing because it's not sustainable. Like there's yeah. no way you could maintain sculpted abs 12 months of the year because we're not designed to be like that. And I think for me, you, you made a valuable point. What I wanted social media to be is a place of like normality and a place where people can strive to make improvements. And I'm all about that because I think sometimes we're nearly looking at people saying, look at her there now, like she's trying to lose a bit of weight or trying to get fitter or trying to get stronger. And we're nearly reprimanding people for wanting to. Oh, that, yeah, I think that's a very, I, I don't know whether it's a very Irish thing or, or, yeah, or what it but is. But I think but, it's in general. You know, go for it. Go for whatever you, you want to go for. Like, I'm not against that. And I really do admire people who work that hard. And I talk mm-hmm. about, like, in one of my books, I talk about Ernestine, and I can never remember her surname, but she took up bodybuilding at 56. She made the Guinness Book of Records at 82 as the oldest bodybuilder. Mm-hmm. She has an eight pack. She's a personal trainer. She trains other people. She's amazing. I admire that. I do aspire to have nice muscle tone myself, not just for looks. It's really, really mm-hmm. important. It's really important for your brain health. Physical exercise is one of the best things that you can do for your brain yeah. health. So I'm always pushing it from that perspective. Aerobic exercise is critical, but so too is building muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So it is important. I'm not anti that. And a lot of people think you lose muscle mass with age. No, you don't. You lose it with disuse. And there's every reason for you to try and regain that muscle mass. It's really good for you from a health perspective. And it also will help protect you from falling. And that's really important in later life, because yeah. once you have one fall in later life, that makes it more likely you'll have yeah. more falls and that actually increases your risk of developing dementia. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. critical. And I think that's one thing as well from when, as you get older. So when you move from your 20s to your 30s to your 40s, you start to understand that fitness isn't about 
how good you look in a swimsuit or how good you look in the little black dress. It is about the functional movements. It is about your mood and your energy and your sleep. And, also, and your bone density, actually, yeah. as a woman, when you get older, you really need the strength. And your brain, like, you know, your memory, your concentration, all of these things. Everything. And so, yeah. And I suppose that's what I tried to put across in, you know, in social media is that our health shouldn't be just attached to what size jeans we are or what we weigh on the scales. To be honest, like our value can't be attached to that because our bodies are designed to fluctuate, whether it's that time of the month for a woman or whether it's, you know, whether or not you're in winter time. Yeah. So, you know, even your cortisol levels, if you're really stressed, you're going to be a lot puffier. You're probably going to weigh more. So if you attach yourself to a size or a weight, you really can be detrimental. So it is about feeling good in yourself. I'm all about that. Like looking good is one thing, but feeling good is so much better. And like some of the messages that I've got from people around them saying, I might've put on weight this year, but doing your classes has made me realize that my body isn't just about how it looks. And I feel great that I couldn't do a press up before. And now I half can, or, you know, and I love that because I just think there's so many negative connotations attached to exercise because it is inadvertently connected to how we look. But if we remove that, like think about young people when they're rolling down a hill or jumping around the place or in a bouncing castle, it should be enjoyed. And I think if you can enjoy the process nearly, then you'll get all the benefits, but you won't have this, oh, I've got to do it attitude. Like I encourage yeah. people to have, I get to do it. Like that's the attitude that I should have. I'm kind of screwed up a bit in that way as well. Now, you know, I mean, my sense of self-worth has always been linked to my size. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard not to grow up in this society without that. Mm-hmm. I am a real all or nothing person when it comes to everything that I do. I don't, don't see any point in doing something unless you're going to do it like 100%. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> Just really go for it. But I also am very good. Um, I remember I played basketball in, in school. And I'm only five foot one and a half. So, but I was good at basketball. You had the tenacity, I'd say. I else. had the tenacity. That's what it was. I was that fighter, you know. No, you are not taking this ball yes. off me. And I don't care if you're taller. I'm going to duck and get round and, and get the ball. I would have picked you on my team for sure. <laughs> When it comes to pro sports and sometimes I'm looking at soccer, we would be a, have been a soccer family rather yeah. than a GAA family. But I sometimes look and watch players playing at the highest level and they're lazy. I'm going, you're getting feckin' half a million a week. Yeah. Run for the feckin' ball, will you? Yeah, I know. <laughs> or run back and defend, will you? <laughs> I know. You know? I just I, I I just don't get that. You've all this amazing skill, but then you got to work hard as well. And that just really annoys me when they don't do that. I just, uh, yeah. Oh, well, one of the greatest things I think one of a coach of mine when I was in um, second level school said to me, hard work can be talent if talent won't work hard. And it's something yes. that has stuck with me. Like it started from sport, but it worked in my education and in my career afterwards that I was like, okay, I mightn't be the most talented person on the team or for if I'm going for a job, but I will be the person that works hard because I think, you know, if you think about, you said it there about your five foot one, you want someone in the trenches with you. You want someone when you're doing something, whether it's on a team or on a group project in college or in, you know, on a team in, in work. You want someone that's going to do the hard work, do the stuff you don't want to do, but you know you have to do. And like that is one of the greatest things that I have learned from sport is that sometimes you just, in order to be successful, you have to put in the groundwork, you know, and 
it's something that has never left me. And long after sport and, and my high performance career ended, it's kind of something now that as I move into the media world and I'm you know, going up against people that are far more experienced than I am, it's bringing that work ethic, you know, and that energy, that high level energy. I think it's so vital. Like when I graduated from college and we'll get to that in a while, I worked in recruitment for a while. And one of the things that I learned from recruitment is that your energy will introduce you before you open your mouth, before you tell everybody how brilliant you are or all of the degrees you have or all the experience. It's your energy. And we control our energy 100%. Yeah. You get out of bed in the morning, no matter what's going on in your life, you make the decision as what kind of energy you're going to bring to yourself, to people, to your work. And if that is backed by your work ethic, it's amazing the impact that you can have on people. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I do this myself and I say it to people. You do it a lot naturally. First thing you do when you open your eyes, this is non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. First thing you do when you open your eyes in the morning is smile. Yeah. And it just sets you up before you've had a chance to think this is going to be a crappy day. Before you've had a chance mm-hmm. to think that you did something shitty yesterday or uh-huh. you failed in something yesterday. Just smile because it actually releases feel good hormones and it just mm-hmm. kind of sets you off on that. I also think it gives you that real sense of control. Now, I'm actually in control of this yeah. day. And it's very hard to be in a bad mood and smile at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can smile when you're in a bad mood. Like often people think smiling is reactive, but it's not. It's, just yeah. make it fake it till you make it really works with smiling and mm-hmm. um, but yeah I'm so with you on so many of those things you know if you have talent and you work hard you increase the likelihood that you will succeed but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that you will no. succeed but hard work you can't underestimate I always say that they'll put that on my gravestone you know either at least she tried <laughs> or she gave it her best shot you know that kind yeah. of way I and just again I suppose it's even going back to some of the things that I've learned from sport and like the idea that even now working as a performance coach and working in mindset because I learned from sport that like you can be marking a player that's just as skillful as you or maybe more skillful than you but if you can outwork her and it could say like that idea yeah. that, you know, it's hard to beat somebody that never gives up and you have that. And I suppose it's even relinquishing the fear of failure, because when you think about young kids, whatever, no matter what they're doing, we tell them that no matter what, you know, just try your best. And even if they yeah. fail, it doesn't matter, go again. But somehow that that changes as we become adults and we become so afraid of failure and so afraid to try new things for fear it's seen as a weakness. Because if you go for a job and don't get it or a promotion or you go to get your place in a team or try a new workout and if you don't do it well the first time, oh, well, you must be weak at it. And I just think it's so odd. Yeah, yeah. No, failure. I don't know where or when it got this negative connotation, Mm -hmm. but it is essential to learning. You cannot learn. We learn through trial and error. And it would be far better that we do that. And I mean error in the sense that so if we take the sports analogy and you're, you know, standing in front of a goal to try and teach someone or to try and learn how to score a goal. Right. You learn how to do that through trial and error. And that's the mark of a good coach. Mm -hmm. You you know, they understand that it's shaping our behavior and that's how your brain learns. The way I see it is there's nothing wrong with failure. The only thing wrong with failure is if you see it as the end result Mm -hmm. rather than part of the journey. We're nearly a weakness driven society now. So if you look at like, you know, even the exam results, right? What do people naturally gravitate towards? What are the ones that you failed in? What are the ones that you only barely scraped in? We won't look at the ones that we got the top grade in. And it's the same with sport. We're constantly, if I said to you, I want you to go away now and improve. You would presume I mean your weaknesses, but we forget (laughs) 
that you you can also improve your strengths. You can take your strengths from good to great. So yeah, board has kind of reminded me of that. That with a team and like that same with a work environment, everybody brings different strengths to the table. So there's no yeah. point comparing yourself to your corner forward or your midfielder because you don't have the same skills as them. And if you all have the same skills, well, it would be no good. So it's like nearly yeah. reminding yourself at times that, you know what, I mightn't be great at X, Y, Z, but I bring something else. And we're nearly afraid to acknowledge that. But it's that thing of, you know, and I say it to people in terms of, say, if people are recovering from long COVID and they have brain mm-hmm. fog as a consequence of yes. it and, and physical fatigue and a mental fatigue. And I'm saying to them, you know, it has to be baby steps. Mm-hmm. It has to be baby steps. Your body's been through this terrible virus, etc. You cannot compare your physical levels of activity to before you were ill. You've mm-hmm. got to compare to where you are today and then tomorrow you've made a tiny improvement. Yeah. You can't keep saying, oh, but I used to be able to run 10K and now I can only walk to the hall. Okay, but let's see, can you walk two feet further mm-hmm. than the hall tomorrow? That's progress. And yeah. if you keep focusing just on that 10K and the how far you have to go, you're never going to get there. It's a recipe for failure. It's focusing on yourself as the benchmark. You set that initial goal, Mm -hmm. you know where you're going and then you forget about it and you focus on the little steps of that journey. Yeah, like we do that, like if I was with a sports team and we'd set our end goal maybe to win the title at the end of the year. But if you're in the middle of January and it's wet and it's rainy and you've muck up your knees, that seems like a very far away possibility. So by setting those little milestones, like that idea, what do they say? What's the best way to eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Steps because they'll keep you on track. And then if you are wavering or you're struggling, knowing that you're just that little bit away from the small milestone, it's amazing. It's satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. Because having to wait for reward from that long term goal is too far. You have to have rewards along the way. So tell me. Were you always a sporty child? I've seen this lovely photo on your Instagram. You have posted a little while ago of you as a kid, but you can really see your face. And it's that big smile. And I mean that in the nicest way, yeah. that big smiley face. And yeah. you can just see happy child. <laughs> Is that true? Were you a real happy child? Do you know what? I was a very energetic child, Sabrina, and that hasn't really changed. Like my mom said, I... I never wanted to go to bed when I was younger and I'm still and I'm still the same. I still don't want to go to bed. It's the fear of missing out. And I think that energy has been great. I grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer. My mother was a teacher. My dad is like sports mad, like absolutely sports okay. mad, loves it. So I was always destined to be put into sport. But then again, they never knew my ability. They never knew what kind of a player I was going to become. And I wasn't put into to win medals or captain teams or win all Ireland's. I was really put into it for the social inclusion, you know, to build confidence, self-esteem, to kind of express myself, probably to work off that excess energy a small bit as well. And I think that was brilliant because from a young age, there was never that pressure there. Now, as I got older and as I got better, I suppose that pressure came from coaches. And I suppose they saw potential. Yeah, the was there. How did you, um, and I would imagine, and I, I highly recommend, you know, if people have kids, we always did that with ours, into sport, into sport. Mm. It's essential for girls. And we have a huge problem that girls aren't involved enough in sport yeah. or they give it up too early. And that's a big problem. Yeah. I'm actually... I'm doing a TV documentary at the moment around that exact thing, around why teenage girls drop out of sport. And for me, it's changed my perception of it as well. I'm a very competitive person, like one of the most competitive people you'll probably meet. Like if we are playing tiddlywinks or, you know, I want to win. But it made me reframe 
sport and success and what it is. It's not about winning titles. It's about, it's about getting the same number of girls back in the gates the following year and keeping that enjoyment going. And, you know, it's definitely something that I realize I'm a real passion for because of what I've learned from sport. And like, I have learned what I've learned from sport, regardless of the All-Ireland medals and the titles I've won. I've learned the life skills because I've been in it. I've experienced the setbacks. I've learned how to cope with failure. I've learned how to cope with not being the best, you know, with losing, with winning, learning to work with people that mightn't necessarily be people I like, but have to respect them because we have a collective goal. Like even empathy, you get all of these things, you learn them from sport. But I think the, re- the reality is that, again, go back to the negative connotations attached to sport that parents may have because of a negative experience that they had. It's like the opportunities that are there in sport, regardless of ability, but what you learn at any level. To me, it's a no brainer, excuse the pun, to, to get involved. It's just positive life skills, transferable life skills. Everything you've talked about there is about life. So I'd be really interested now to see that documentary, Mm. to see kind of what comes out. It's eye-opening for me, for sure. I would imagine a lot of it is around body image. And I think that's why I sort of half-jokingly introduced you as Wonder Woman. But I think you're a very important role model. Uh, And that's why I also put in actually in the intro that you're very glamorous, because I think they're not mutually exclusive. Mm. You can be feminine and glamorous and pretty and a real hard sportswoman if you want. Do you know they're not? And I I think there can be some of that because part of it is labeling and, oh, she's a real sporty type. She's a sporty girl. You know, oh, she's a real pretty girl. She's a girly girl. She's a bit of a tomboy. And so they have much wider connotations. And I'm fascinated. Anyone listening to the podcast know I'm fascinated with the concept of self and how the brain creates self and how we create self. Mm -hmm. And really, it's just a made up story. And you can change that story however you want. But a lot of that story that you tell about yourself and who you are comes from what other people have said to you. And frequently it can be something like that, that somebody said to you as a child, oh, you're a real girly girl. And so you just do the girly girl stuff mm. and, and it can, that can work positively. You know, somebody probably said to you somewhere along the line, oh, she's a brilliant trier. She never gives up. I suspect somebody said that to me, too. And mm. I kind of went, yeah, I like that one. I'm taking yeah. that one on. And that's who I am. I don't mean that I consciously did, but it was a positive reinforcer. But unfortunately, mm. for every positive reinforcer, there's negative yeah ones and yeah that's something that I'm sure you are as well in terms of your performance coaching and that side of things is to try and get people to question where they get their notions about themselves and for the most part those things are untrue and you know you could be 30 years of age and you're holding on to something that was said 25 years ago and and you're letting it limit your life yeah and it is it's to me I think language has a massive part to play in, you know, how we see ourselves, like you said, the stories we tell ourselves and even that word sporty, like what is it? Like even the word sport, I think sometimes can have negative connotations attached to it now because people think it's elite. You know, it has to be a pressure environment. It has to be intense. You know, it has to mean commitment and discipline, things that not everybody wants to be a part of. So, yeah, like that word, because people have attached ideals to the word sport, that that's why people think, oh, I'm not sporty or that's not for me, because that's what they associate with it. It's the same, I suppose, 
I, when I was younger, I would never have considered myself either to be a girly girl or a tomboy. But I think as I grew up, I realized I love high heels. I mean, I love fake tan. I love dressing up. I was always the girl in my friendship group where we could meet for something. They go, oh, where are you off to? And I said, nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> I just, I, I have all these clothes. Why wouldn't I wear them? Even now I'm like, I'd be damned yeah, yeah. if I am going on. I want to wear some of my clothes that haven't worn them in so long. So I always would have dressed up because again, I love, you know, fashion and shopping. And it was something that my mom used to do with me. So on a Friday evening, we'd go like to the shopping center, we'd go browsing. And it was like almost like a mindful experience. It was a switch off my mom. So again, like, you know, that confirmation bias, what you see others do, you start to mimic. So I yeah, started yeah, doing yeah. that switch off. And I realized, oh, I love how fashion makes me feel. And if you want to be glam, and I started wearing clothes. And then I suppose it was, again, going back to the whole idea that I could be both. I could be a fierce athlete on the pitch and be really determined and make sure that nobody got that ball off me without a fight. But equally, then afterwards in the changing room, I could change into a dress and, and pair high heels yeah. out the door. And I think that is really important that girls need to know that you can be both. You can be one or the other if you so wish, but you also can be both simultaneously. And it is really important that we see that, but also even how we describe sports people, tearing down the stereotypes and, mm. and valuing people, not just as the player they are, but the person they are as well. Sometimes people forget there's a person behind the player. So it is kind of to make sure that what you're saying about the player is fair and it's the truth. Because all the, well, you often see like Twitter and there's these such toxic oh. things being said. And you're like, you know that that player didn't intentionally grow to have a bad game. They didn't decide they're going to like mess up for an own goal. So why then do we go to the extremes of slating them and crucifying them? Because that's someone's child, someone's sister, someone's wife or husband. It's, I think we need to make sure that we remember that language is really powerful. And also the language that we tell ourselves. Like we talk to ourselves more than we talk to anybody else. Yeah, we and do. You never yeah, talk yeah. to your friends the same way you talk to yourself because you wouldn't have any friends because we can be no. so cruel to ourselves whether it's how we look how we perform at work I'm a bad mom I'm a bad dad how was poison the house clean I never remember to defrost the chicken like whatever it is we always just cutting ourselves down with the language that we use and I think if we can only switch that and do nothing else I think we'd have a lot more positivity in the way that we see ourselves yeah no that's very true don't get me wrong I used to get in trouble with referees all the time because I used to have <laughs> earrings in and they'd be like you have to all right. out. oh I, yeah no that's I had a little bit of mascara on I like my part of my pre-game ritual was always to put tan on because I felt great I mean I come right, yeah. from a, a small rural village in North Cork I can assure you you know we don't get more sun than anyone else but like <laughs> the colour of my skin would have said otherwise it is all about like doing what makes you feel good, but then not being berated for it one way or another, whether you wear fake tan or glamorous or you're not, you know? And I think it's just, we like to put people in boxes, you know, we all yeah. do. We like to like, that's her. She's the sporty one. She's the intelligent one. She's the reliable one. You know, he's the dependable person, whatever it is. And I really welcome seeing people changing things up and doing things differently Respect the stereotypes, question the stereotypes and just do what you enjoy. Mm. That's what's really important, I think, when it comes to sport. But it's hard. It's, it's going to be a challenge for girls because ultimately it's having a really negative effect on girls' physical and mental health. 
Yeah, well, it is because I suppose there's long term benefits to staying in sport and even the team environment, your friends, the social aspect of sport. Like when I think about the opportunities that I have been privy to because of sport and I've got to travel. I went to Luxembourg um, in 2008 during my degree um, on work placement and I went to the GA club to join in, not so that we could play, but I knew it was going to be a support structure for me. It was going to help me find a house. You know, I was in a, in a foreign country where English was the third language, you know, and I only had leaving certificate proficiency in French. So I needed allies. And it was amazing having that network of people through sport. They didn't know me from Adam, but because I played sport, it was almost like, she's one of our own, let's look after her. And I think that for me is a really important thing that sport brings is that you mightn't know anybody, but if you go into university, say, and you you go down to a local sports club, immediately you've got connections, you've got people that are like-minded yeah. that are going to help you. And I just think we overlook the importance of those things. Absolutely, the physical benefits are there, you know, the mental benefits, but the social benefits, I think, of sport, to me, are some of the most important things that you learn. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people are missing with the pandemic yes. and lockdown, you know, we were talking about uh, teenage girls, but I think, you know, sport for teenage boys is hugely critical. You know, they suddenly have this upsurge of testosterone in their system and that can come with the tendency towards aggression. And what better, more positive way to channel that than through physical sport and exercise and, you know, in an appropriate way, like it's really brilliant. I want to kind of move on to um, your time on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Yeah. And I've just been looking back at some clips and I'm just looking. Oh, my God, your back, your arms, your oh. muscles. You were really just, oh, my God, amazing. Shape of my life. Yeah, I mean, I the played, shape of your life. I played top level sport for 12 years and I was in better shape during Dancing with the Stars. That's what I was going to say to you. So that came from the dancing. Mm. But were you actually working in the gym as well as the dancing so that you could dance better? One of the things I love about when I'm actually doing weights, you know, when I'm being in my good self in terms of exercise is I feel stronger. I feel mm. sturdier in my body. You know, obviously my clothes fit better, but I love that. I, it's very hard to describe. You just suddenly flip into the, oh yeah, I feel mm. sturdy and strong. So you would have already been in pretty good shape. Mm. What point of your career was that? Were you still playing? So I had retired from top level sport with the inter-county team, say, in 2015. But I was still playing camogie at club level. Um, so this was January 2018 when I did it. So it was still a few years on from it. And obviously your muscle is there, you know, and I still had the good core strength and I still had built up a lot of muscle. But one of the reasons why actually I said yes to Dancing with the Stars, there was two reasons I said yes. One was because I missed the challenge. And that was okay. one of the brilliant things about playing with Cork was that every time you went out and played a game, you know, there was always a risk that you weren't going to come out the right side, but your opponent was going to beat you. And I missed that challenge of every week having to stand there and produce the goods. Um, and the second reason why I did it was to do with body image, because I felt I would have loved role models that looked like me when I was growing up. And I suppose I'm five foot five. I was a sprinter when I was younger, played camogie for years. So I'm very muscular and very athletic in my frame. I'm very curvy as well. So I have a very small waist. And I, because of my quads and my glutes from playing sport for years, I'd be much stronger. And I suppose like I wanted 
to show younger girls, but women in general, that like there's no one size fits all when it comes to a body. And I'm not better or worse than anyone else, but I'd be damned if I don't be proud of the body I have because I worked hard to get it. It isn't you know typical that you'll see that much muscle. <laughs> and as you said, like my back muscle. And I remember my dance partner, Kai, he's actually um one of the cast now in Strictly. And he turned around and he was just like, we had to do this pose where I was leaning forward and he was catching my hands behind me. So my back was really on show and he was just like, oh my God, you have so much muscle. And my fear genuinely was that he wouldn't be able to lift me because I was, I was strong, you know, and I did. I, I weighed a lot because of the muscle. And it was a genuine concern for me. He was like, don't worry about it. Like, that's my job. You just worry about getting up there and I, I'm, I'll worry about holding you up there. But it was brilliant because the messages that I got from people, the sense of worth that they had, like I had a a woman message me saying that her daughter had been rowing and had given it up because she felt that her shoulders were getting too big and she didn't want to look, you know, this idea, again, the stereotype of masculine. So she gave up and she was very good. And she watched one of my dances and turned to her mom's like, oh, my God, she's got back muscles like me. And the following week, she wanted to go back training. And I said, you know, and I I do nothing else in this. Like if I'm fueling people's ambition to look whatever way they can because they're sport, it's like the idea that you're looking at what your body can do rather than focusing on how it looks, you know, that it's, yeah. a, it's an instrument, not an ornament. And I think that's the kind of message that I wish, you know, that I had more of when I was in my late teens, early 20s. So I was like, you know, if I can help people, well, then maybe that's going to help me too. Because I'm not going to lie. Like there was some weeks I was in wardrobe department freaking out at the costumes that they wanted me to wear because it was taking me out of my comfort zone. I was like, oh God, that's right. too short or that's too low or that's too revealing. And it was just kind of like letting go of the body insecurities. And because I suppose was, I'll be honest, I was comparing myself to my fellow contestants, the professional dancers, but oh my God, I don't look like them. But now I look back, right, and no joke, and I say, Christ, Anna, you were in the shape of your life. And there was times you felt so insecure about your body. <gasps> so what that made me realize is it doesn't matter what shape we're all in. We're still going to find something to be insecure about. And while I was busy looking at one of the girls that was five foot 11 and had legs up to her eyeballs, she was looking at me going, oh, I wish I had her core or I wish I had her arms. So we're all looking what everyone else has. So it's kind of nearly like, Geez, you know what? We may as well just accept we have the body we have. I'm never going to have long legs. I'm five foot five, but I can work on other aspects of myself. And again, this is going back to that sense of improvement. You know, you can improve that. There's no embarrassment to feel you want to improve yourself. It's just about you need to be realistic in what you can do, because I think if we set our expectations too high, that's where we're then in danger of failing then and feeling crap because we've expected ourselves to get to a body size or body shape that's just realistically unattainable and exhausting like yeah I was dancing for 10 hours a day Sabina there was no way I'm going to look like that again because I was dancing mm. I mean let me tell you if you hold your hands out by your sides and do nothing don't lift weights just hold them out by your sides for 60 minutes alone every single day you'll feel the tone in them so I suppose I had to be realistic with myself afterwards when it all ended I mean, even when I found my body shape changing again, I was like, oh, no, I want to hang on to that svelte and toned body. But I realized, yeah, but it's not attainable. No, it was still hard to do because everything ended with a bang. But now I look back and be like, there's partially going, you didn't really appreciate 
the condition that you got your body into at the time. And I think we're all guilty of that at various stages in our lives. So now I start telling myself if I'm having days now, maybe I'm doing an Instagram live and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit bloated or I'm feeling a little bit, you know, not at my leanest. What would your 70 year old self say to you right now? She'd probably kick you up the ass and say, I would kill to have your body, like get out there and be proud of it. So that's kind of something that I do to get myself out of feeling the way I do. And sometimes there's days when my 70 year old self would say, put on your gym gear and go for a walk. You know, again, going back to it's not I've got to do something. It's I get to. We get to exercise. We get to move. Like when we're 70, 80, 90, we're relying on our younger selves to have ourselves in the best condition possible when we're that age. So it's that's how I start thinking about things to pull myself out of ruts when I'm feeling a little bit meh about myself. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, as you just said there, Dancing with the Stars ended Suddenly. Uh, and so you had how many months with this fabulous community and on TV and, and prior to that? Four months. Four months. Yeah. Four months of challenging yourself, achieving, being in the spotlight, looking beautiful, having people do. No, but you know what I mean. Rolling like around a, in sequins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it's suddenly gone. Mm-hmm. And how ripped, was and that for you? Ripped out from underneath me. Like a lot of people would say, oh, did you find it hard when you, you got all the way to the final and as a driven person that you lost? And I was like, losing didn't actually matter. And I can't you believe didn't I'm lose. saying... Like, yeah, yeah, like to exactly. say that you lost, you're a finalist. Like you, you won so many things. Yeah. Only one person can win the title, but everybody who takes part can win. Whereas very much for me, it was about challenge. Well, you were going to win it, were you? And, well, <laughs> you know what? It's funny. I never thought about the final because I was like, there's so much that's out of my control because obviously you can dance your heart out, but if you don't get voted through, well, then it doesn't matter. So I genuinely just kept going back to those milestones. It was week after week. Every Sunday was my milestone. If I got to that Sunday, it was like I rewarded myself and, you know, congratulated myself. And I go, you, you're through another week. Because for me, the reward was getting to stay in that environment for another week and getting to dance as my job. You know, I was yeah. doing 10 hours a day and it was fun, like exhausting, but absolutely great crack. I made some brilliant friends that I'm really close with now and that I feel I've known all my life so we had a really good gang as well that year we socialized together afterwards and we'd be in and out of each other's dress rehearsals giving each other sneak peeks and it was a really good supportive environment even though we were all really competitive and we wanted to stay Mm. it wasn't at anyone else's expense you wanted a win but in a weird way you didn't want to see anyone else go home 
So, you know, it was a, a, a really good environment to be in. But when it ended, I wasn't prepared for that. And I'll take people back a little bit just to give a quick backstory. So back in 2015, I would have made a lot of decisions. So I would have decided to retire from playing top level sport. I was 27 at the time and captain. So we just won the All-Ireland in 2014. It was quite unusual. Can I just ask you that? Why did you decide to retire at 27? So it's a great question. Um, I think for me, I, I am much like you. I'm an all or nothing mentality. And if I'm like, if I'm in something, I give absolutely everything of myself. And around that time, I'd gone back to qualify as a performance and mindset coach. And I suppose we had to delve into kind of our values and what we stood for and what we wanted out of life, really big questions. And I started to realize that that idea of surviving or thriving, like was I surviving or thriving? And I felt while I was thriving in sport, I was only surviving in my job and not like, not that what I was doing wasn't great. It just wasn't a great career for me. So I started to realize if I don't change this, I'm going to drift and I don't want to drift to a point where I look back 10 years into going, I really should have made changes a few years ago. So I knew I wanted to change career. I went back studying again. And what I realized is I can't do both. I can't give everything of myself at top level sport and then give everything of myself to forge a new career. Because we all know when okay. you're starting a new career, you're at the bottom rung of the ladder, you're doing the unsocial errors, you're doing the things that no one else wants to do. And I didn't want to be the player that was missing training in the lead up to big games because I had to fulfill commitments to work. So, okay, if I can't do both, well, then the guilt wouldn't have allowed me to have half-arsed it. So I was like, okay, no, I had to step back. So I made that decision when I stepped back that it was someone else's turn to give everything of themselves for the jersey. And then I threw myself into work. So even though I retired from Cork at that time, I had the promise and the prospect of a new career to kind of keep me interested, keep me excited, keep me distracted because when you make a big transition in your life and you leave something, it's really important to fill that gap with something else. Mm-hmm. Because that's where then you go down the wrong roads and maybe you use other crutches like alcohol or gambling as your as to fill the gap. So I had this idea of working hard towards a new career to distract me. But then with Dancing with the Stars, I didn't have anything else to fill the gap. So like that, we adjust our lives, adjust, look at us in, in a pandemic we build new habits. We, you know, kind of our, our brain gets used to certain routines. And I was used to the routine six, seven days a week of getting up every morning and from morning to night dancing. And suddenly it finished. The rug was pulled out from underneath me and it was over. And everyone else went back to normal life, you know, with their jobs. The pro dancers flew back, flew back to all their various different homes all over the world. And people had told me that you'll be exhausted now after Dancing with the Stars. You should take some time off. And I listened to them. And you know what? If ever there was a time that I should have listened to my gut, because I know me more better than anyone else does. I should have filled that gap with something else, but I didn't. And I took time off. I remember my boyfriend at the time, my now husband, and I went on a holiday after Dancing with Stars. Worst holiday ever. The poor devil. I was just in the depths of despondency. Like I was like, I should be dancing right now. (laughs) And Instead, I should have filled it with something else, a new work project or something to have just distracted me in that transitional period out of it. So if anybody's listening and you're, you have something coming up, a big change, like it's, it's then you need to throw yourself into something else because otherwise you're alone with your thoughts. And we all know being alone in our thoughts when we're not feeling our best isn't isn't a good thing or it's not advisable. And like I had a brilliant time. Like ultimately, that's what it was about. I'd come off this wonderful experience and 
I was looking and searching for something else to fill it. And it's only now I realize I should have done something to distract myself in the in the immediate aftermath of it. So I will never make that mistake again. And I think just to say it made me realize as well that like when you're listening, we often if we have a big decision to make or if we're, we're looking, we look to everybody else for their advice and their opinion. And we forget to ask ourselves because ultimately it's your life. It's you're involved. Nobody knows you better than you. And I learned that the hard way that time and I've never made that mistake again. So it's, yeah, it's just sometimes the breaks need to be better timed rather than in the immediate aftermath of something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. When you're an actor, you learn that, you know, you get a gig, you get, you know, and you join this whole new family and it's all about that and it's all consuming and you're the character Mm -hmm. and all that. And then it's like that has happened. It's just gone. And then you don't know whether you're ever going to get work again. That could be your last gig ever. How did you cope with it then? Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) Not very well, to be perfectly honest. And it is a form of a grief, I think, when you finish. I know it sounds Mm -hmm. awful, but I'm quite happy to say that, like, you know, when you're doing something that is all consuming for you, that you love, when that stops, that's a grief. It's a loss and your body has to have and your brain has to have time to adjust. And just stopping and thinking and thinking about loss doesn't help you move forward. Mm -hmm. It keeps you kind of stuck behind. And I do think, you know, it really is critical. And I know you'll hear people talk about, you know, in the mindfulness space about, oh, there's an awful lot of busyness, Mm -hmm. do you know? Um, And there is, sometimes we do that, but in some moments, the being busy is really, really useful tool to carry you through to a space where you can start to deal with. And I also think it helps. I think one of the reasons it works is it helps put what you've just done or finished in perspective. Mm -hmm. That it is something and now you can have something else. And so I I do that. I actually tend to, and you're a bit the same, like we're not friends. We don't know each other, but I can just see by all the pies you have fingers in. You have things unrolling. There's always Mm -hmm. sort of something going and I'm the same. You know, I have several kind of projects on the go and sometimes it can feel like you're spinning too many plates, but I would much rather that than have nothing to do. I can't cope with the nothing to do. I just can't. And it sends me navel gazing and is this what it's all about? So that works for me. And I think for different people, different strokes for different folks. And, you know, if it doesn't work for you, well, then that's absolutely fine. Some people who probably gave you the advice about being exhausted, they may just have needed to sleep for two weeks and that works fine for them. It is about getting to know your body and your Mm -hmm. needs and your emotions and kind of how you cope with things. And even having a support structure as well, that was really important. Like those one or two people that you can call upon to be truly yourself. You know what I mean? Like that isn't that you don't have to put up the front and you don't have to pretend you're fine. Because like you just said, I suppose in the grander scheme of things, like Dancing with the Stars in many people's eyes was just a TV show, like get over yourself. But like you just said, it it became my life for four months. Everything revolved around it. I think my friends and family were sick of me talking about it because, you know, I was dreaming in steps. I was dreaming Charleston and Jive and I had one or two friends that I could really confide in to say, I don't know why I'm feeling like this, but I'm feeling in this lull and I miss it. You know, being able to even acknowledge that to somebody and not feel judged and not feel that you have to pretend to be a certain way. That is really important. And if you only have one person that you can go to. And what I would say to people is be that person for someone else too. You know, yeah. have you ever actually said to your friends, you know what, I know you've got the job and the kids and the car and the house and your life looks perfect, 
But you know what? If your life isn't perfect, you can always pick up the phone to me and tell me that you're looking at the four walls of your bedroom and you really hate it and you want to kill, you know, your dog because he keeps barking during Zoom meetings, that I will be that person for you. I think that's a really valuable part of friendship. We don't tell our friends that enough. And sometimes then people don't know where to turn to when they are having a crap day because they say, who am I to have a crap day? Well, we all have crap days and it's all relative. Yeah. And, it, you know, yes, people will always be dying. But like if your cat dies, that's your cat dying. Do you, you know, it, it's important to you know, yeah. and I think what you've said um, is really valuable and it's part of what, you know, because people could look at you and go, oh, my God, she's good at everything she does and blah, blah, blah. But you're a human being underneath it all that has all those same sort of feelings as everybody else. And I, I did read in an interview where you said, Kevin, he was your boyfriend at yeah, the time. He was. Yeah, but that he saw the loneliness in you and mm-hmm. he knew how much it, it meant to you. And it is a loss. It's definitely a grief. And one thing that kind of jumped out at me, I kind of remember when I was an actor like that you know anytime I acted or you know had a storyline it was like that dancing with the stars every time Mm -hmm. wow and I remember having a conversation with a friend one time as well and I remember saying well what I do is so bloody frivolous you know it's not meaningful I'd like Mm -hmm. to be doing something that sort of helps people or has meaning but what that person said to me again a bit like you it really struck a chord with me and she said but you do something very important and I said I don't I'm an actor I'm in a soap or whatever and she said yeah and that matters to people's lives at home you give them something that they can watch and enjoy and switch off from their yeah. stress. Mm-hmm. So you are doing something yeah. that's meaningful and that matters. And so it is sort of the same, I think, you know, with Dancing with the Stars, with all of those things. I think people who have never worked in television and I think with social media, it feeds into it, uh, you know, are dreadfully critical. They forget that it's a human being there and say awful things about the size of people or, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's incredibly hurtful, but there is this sense that somehow, I don't know, they're not a, a real screen. person, nearly. They're not a real yeah, person. They're on, well, I found, I did find that even during Dancing with the Stars, I made a very conscious decision in that I was like, okay, this is my experience. It's a once in a lifetime chance. I don't want that to be like marred by negativity, you know? And I have no problem with somebody being constructively critical. Like I've grown up in the world of sport. It's part and yes, parcel it's of great. your improvement. It's great. But if somebody wants to be nasty just because, you know, they're in a bad headspace and they want to comment on how your thighs look in, in an outfit or, you know, whatever it is. I don't need that. I don't want mm. that in my space. You know, you can back off. So one of my friends used to take uh, charge of my phone and the live show day. So he would be just, if there was any negative comments, delete them, block people that were unnecessary. And again, I have no problem with somebody. And I said that to him, I was like, if somebody has a critique, leave it there. I want to see that because maybe I can tweak it or improve myself. But I was like, but if somebody's just being nasty for the sake of it, absolutely go ahead and delete it. And it was the best thing ever that I did because I wasn't exposed to it then. That is a super, super decision because as you touched on earlier, as human beings, we're primed to the negative. And there's good reason for that, but we have to remind ourselves that we will always notice the negative before the Mm -hmm. positive. So we have to make a very conscious effort to work on looking for the positive. And I always try and say, look, if you say something negative about yourself, to yourself in your head don't allow yourself to say something negative till you've said five positives to yourself because you really need even that amount to counteract the negativity that you will have but a hundred positive messages could come in 
and you'll see the one negative but one. you'll still see the negative. And that will be the one you'll look at and go, oh, yeah. really? Do I sound like that? Do I yes. do I look like that? So, so you know. I, I think you were so right just not to view it because mm-hmm. exactly that. And also it would have just stuck in your head. Mm-hmm. And instead of performing, being in the moment of your dancing, yes. you would have been thinking of that. Yes nasty thing and so that would actually impact on your performance and I think you did a, a super wise thing to just get rid of it and actually there's another thing that you've just reminded I listened to a little bit of a live you did the other night and you were talking briefly about meditation you were saying you're like the little one minute ones you know yeah. <laughs> so I'm the same I can't really do that kind of meditation meditation but the thing is and that's what I frequently try to explain to people probably they're sick of me saying it but I think you're a prime example of it is Dancing on that show was meditation. Anything where you are fully in the moment doing what you're doing is meditation. That's why I love exercise because it it is mindful for me because if you're lifting a weight or doing a burpee or doing, you have to be focusing on what you're doing or you'll fall over, you'll hit yourself or something. Or you'll hurt your back. So you have to switch off from your thought. I can't be thinking about putting the bins out if if I'm there trying to do a weight session. Oh, you have to be, how's my back? Are my knees bent? Am I pushing them out? And that's super, I can't do burpees though. Oh, awful, (laughs) awful, awful, awful thing. Best full body, overall body are they oh god yeah no i can't do it i have to get back in my all or nothing thing now is um yeah like i knew my book was coming out and i knew i'd be doing tv and having photographs taken and all the rest and so um i like everybody else my weight has just gone up and down over Mm. this pandemic you know and i got in shape i was walking every day but then here's what happens me then so i'm all in i'm in good shape and i'm feeling really good and you know the clothes are fitting and it's really nice and the thing then that i've been preparing for which was say this book launch means that i am pulled in all directions mm-hmm. like every minute of every day for about four or five yeah. weeks and i can't fit in the workout and then suddenly i'm going oh no i have to start all over yeah. again but you know what that is about revising expectations and i when i work with clients as well around mindset it's kind of around building a habit that's sustainable so doing five minutes every day is better than doing 20 minutes one day and then not doing it for another week so I have a strive for five so I'm like if you could pick five minutes whether that's in between work meetings first thing in the morning on your lunch break five minutes of exercise pick five exercises 60 seconds for each exercise it's done and if you were to do that three times a day, four times a day. That's 20 minutes of exercise. Right, okay. And it doesn't always have to be sweaty. I think, again, sometimes people say, well, in order for me to be working hard, I need to be sweating. You could be doing, like, I break things down for people in such a way. So if you have three cups of coffee during the day and you're buying Kittle three times, and every time you do that... I've seen that one. She has a lovely little video on that. (laughs) Yeah, and if you do that, that's say if you do 30 squats, right? 30 squats a day. So every time you're boiling the kettle, that's 10 squats, 30 squats a day. In a week, that's over 200 squats. In a month, that's mm. over 800 squats. If I told you to do 800 squats in a month off the bat, you'd be like, I'll never be able to do that. But if mm. I told you it's just 10 squats every or 10 press-ups or 10 runs up and down the stairs, every single time you boil the kettle, it's far more achievable. So that's a big thing with us when it comes to exercise is re-evaluating our expectations. So if you were to say, right, on the days I'm really busy, I'm going to do five minutes. And if I can get in, you know, that various stage in the day, great. But if I only do five, well, you're still going to be feeling better about yourself. You're still going to get yeah. physical effects, the mental effects. And 
you're keeping the habit going because that's the problem. It's when we break that habit, habit. starting all over again, thinking about it is always worse than doing it. So doing, as I say to people, doing five minutes is better than doing no minutes. And I do have that. I keep one set of small weights uh, in my bedroom over by my dresser because I have a little six minute arm workout. Mm -hmm. And I often do that just passing by. I kind of go, there they are. Right. Do that. And I always feel much better for it. I just wanted to. So obviously you absolutely adored dancing with the stars. What would be your ideal job now like it's very clear that you love what you are doing and all the things you're doing but if it was all just to come together and work what what would it be would it be in television presenting would it be in oh that's it's a really good question because there's loads of different aspects to it like I suppose what I love about my job is that it's central around people and I really feed off people's energy and I love that and I love the even though I'm someone that loves being organized and loves routine and love certainty to a point, which, you know, the world of media does not give you at all. I suppose the benefits of working with people outweigh that certainty, you know, and I love the dynamic relationships that you have with loads of different people on set. And I love TV broadcasting, but I think radio broadcasting, there's something so intimate about it. And, and I suppose you're removing that extra pressure of what you're wearing, how you're looking. And I love that medium. I've grown up with the radio always being on in our house. And I think you can really connect with people on radio. So I love that. And I, I love my role as a speaker as well. I love being able to feel that I can come into a group of people or into a workplace and talk to them about something and have a lasting impact on them. Not like them feeling re-energized for like four hours and that's it. Then the next day they forget about it. But being able to kind of equip them with tips like to better their health and their mindset and practical ways they can improve their lives. So I would love to be someone that can combine both, that I could speak nationally and internationally about ways to feel better and then like that radio and tv broadcasting because like when I think back it was back in 2015 not that long ago I was working in an office environment you know nine to half five and like I'm not telling people to just you know up sticks and leave their jobs but what I'm saying is beyond the boundary of what people will think if I leave a pensionable job and a stable career was this life now where I don't have any Sunday dread I don't dread going back to my job after holidays because I'm doing something that I feel not just that I love, but that I feel I can actually contribute to, you know, that I'm using my strengths now in the role that I was in. I just didn't feel that I was getting the best out of myself. And we all want to feel that we're getting the best out of ourselves. So look, I love talking clearly. So (laughs) the fact that I get paid for it on many different levels, I'm like, cha-ching. And I'm just like, you know, the teachers when I was growing up that used to reprimand me for talking in class. And I'm like, now who's laughing? Now who's laughing? You know, and it's it's wonderful to feel that I can do that. Every single person that's listening here has something that they're good at. That's you yes. see them. And it's just about finding a way to bring that into your career in some way, shape or form. And if you do, you'll feel all the better for it, you know, and you'll, people will feel all the better from being around you as well. Because I would always say people are two types of people. You're either an energy drain or you're an energy train. And depending on your life circumstances, we can kind of, you know, flick between both. But if you can more often than not be that train, be that person that encourages people, that drives people on, that lifts people up and that you do for yourself as well, you'll live a little bit better. Like your, your house mightn't change, your job career mightn't change, you know, the actual physical things mightn't change. But if you can make yourself feel a little bit better, it means your life is going to be that little bit better because you're going to go through it looking at things in in a more positive way 
rather than feeling, oh, is it only Tuesday roll on the weekend? That's not a way. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's just that's no way to live. And I did I, I did that for 15 years. I worked in a I did job. It for you a know, period of time too. Yeah. 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 And um, and a lot of people are doing that and we can't all kind of give up. But a lot of people love the jobs that you and I didn't like. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? And for a lot of people, what we do would be their idea of hell. Yeah. Like people say that to me. Oh my God, were you terrified going on the telly? No, I love it. I can't wait for it then. Yeah. I'm like, oh, don't tell them, but I do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell them because they'll get you to do it for free. <laughs> but I was just thinking back to what you said. So like you only get one bite of that cherry. So, you know, we spend so much of our time working really do look at it and see is there any way you can make it better or is there other aspects of your life where you can get that buzz that we happen to get out of our jobs because not everybody is going to get it out of their job but you might make your job more enjoyable by getting it out of a hobby or a sport or you know something else and everyone listening should do that like you should okay because it's very hard and I often do this exercise with groups and of adults and you just see them squirm and cower into a corner I'll be like okay if, you know, if I went around the room and said, you know, name a weakness for me, you know, the vast they go, I give you five, you know, yeah, so yeah. I, then you ask them, what's your strength? Yeah. And everyone's like, I don't want to be that person to say it. And that's one of two reasons. Number one, some people might never really acknowledged what they're good at before. Not to mind say it out loud. But also it's the fact that you're terrified of judgment. Like who is he or she to say that about themselves? They love, yeah. you know, like that, like even that one loves herself is seen as a negative. It's seen as an yeah. insult, you know, this notions concept. Yeah. So, and I mean, and then in self-help, you're saying, you yeah. know, it's like you've got just, to learn to love yourself. And the same person saying that has gone, Jay, look at your one, look at herself looking in the mirror. I think she's great. You know, <laughs> yeah, she loves herself. So it is. And I would say to people, if you wrote down everything that you were good at, and that's the top of my list when I did that exercise, it was talking, talking and people. They were the two things I really said, so like, what can I do to find myself moving towards a job or a hobby or whatever, where I was talking and with people. And I found myself where I am now. Now, things change and people change. But ultimately, I think it is about doing that. And Forgetting the judgment of people. That's why your support structure is so important. And look, we can't cut people out of our lives that are negative sometimes because they might be your boss or a family member. But it's about number one. And you can ultimately, if it gets too bad, you yeah. can cut some of well, the you family have, members. Yeah, limit, limit the time you <laughs> There comes have a point them. of self-preservation. Yeah, there does come the a point when that can within, happen. But surround yourself with positive people. Yeah. And that doesn't mean surround yourself with, as often, you know, people will talk about celebrities. Oh, they've yes men all around them, you know, who tell them how brilliant they are, et cetera. That's not what that is. You know, people that you can trust are people who will keep an eye on you and who will say, you know, that's not good for you. Or that's not really you, Anna. Or you were a little bit rude to them. Yeah. You know, that's people who love you. They've got your back. They're saying it because they know. Yeah. I have a great story, actually. Very quick one about my dad. So about your support structure. Like your support structure isn't always people that encourage you and tell you're great and tell you're marvellous. Sometimes you do need your support structure to give you a little perspective or pull you back and say, hang on there now a second. You need to come back down to earth. So back in 2010, we were out of the big final. So I had a chance to do some radio commentary on Radio 1. And for any of your um, UK listeners, Michal Mirhertig is one of the greatest sports broadcasters of all time. And I had an opportunity to do a co-commentary with him on Radio 1. He's, He's actually... That probably was the impetus for me wanting to get into TV and radio broadcasting wow. because I loved the buzz that came from Live Energy. To me, it was 
the same as running out on the pitch in All-Ireland final day. And I remember being up there and I was just like, he was one of my heroes and I was just so nervous, but so excited. And he was so engaging and welcoming. And I remember I met my dad the next day after the match and because I had come down late the night before in the train. And I was like, what do you think? You know, desperate for that validation. Like, did you enjoy it? And dad, what did you think? And my dad was reading the newspaper and he was like, oh yeah, you know, you did well. But I, you know, I wanted more and I was like probing and I was like, well, yeah, what was your favorite part? Or what did you, did you think I made a really good comment? And he paused and I remember him looking at me dead straight in the eye and he's like, did you hear about me Holmer Hurtick? No, no, what? He was like, Johan Murhert, they just announced his retirement. And I was like, wow. And my immediate reaction was to feel a bit smoke going, wow, I was one of the last people ever <laughs> to do a live broadcast with the Johan Murhert. And instead, my dad, obviously clearly knowing this was going on in my head, said, imagine that man has given decades to broadcasting and an hour with you when he decides to call it a day. <laughs> I was absolutely disgusted that my dad would say that. But I, and I remember being quite annoyed going, that's nothing to do with me now. I was, I was quite young at the time. But now I look back and realise he was just bringing me back down to earth. You know, he's like, you know, well done, the job, well done. But it was only one gig. Like, don't get too carried away with yourself. And I laugh now. And he, he still tells me to this day that he didn't do that. But I remember he did. <laughs> but it was yeah. a great lesson, you know, and you, you can't beat the Irish as well to be pulling you back down. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they trample all over you and, and they don't like people, you know, that, yeah. that's not always a good thing. But that was good. But I think it's something that I kind of learned a while ago and I I, kind of pass it on as well, that if you are going to believe all the good things that are said about you, you have to believe all the bad things that are said about you in the press, if that's it as well. So actually, really, what you do is you work to reach the standard where you feel Mm -hmm. you've attained what and actually really then what others think doesn't matter. Now, that's very hard. But you do, you know, you, you have to find that balance. And it's a dangerous route if, if you do go too far down that mm-hmm. of taking the praise, because then it's a very hard argument with yourself then about the negativity. I'm all for it. Like, I mean, you know, I, I'm all for um, criticism. That's how we learn. It's yeah. important. But I just think social media has done this thing that allows people to just be plain nasty, mm-hmm. uh, which is really not nice. And that's something that you've achieved, you know, um, is that you've always come across as this really, really good natured, you're competitive. Well, the way I see competitiveness as well is, and I remember I was actually asked this during Dance with the Stars. They said, oh, she's the competitive one. And I was like, I started going through the list of the people that were all doing Dance with the Stars. And I was like, she's a, you know, a very good businesswoman, you know, top class comedian, an Olympian. I was like, hang on a second, why am I the competitive one just because I'm a woman playing sport? So I think it's like, we again, go back to language. And I w- I challenged the radio presenter at the time and I just said to him, do you have kids? And he was like, yeah, I have two young girls. And I was like, oh, interesting. I was like, so would you not want them to grow up to be driven and ambitious and to go after their goals and to give it the best that they have? And he's like, of course I would. And I was like, well, that to me is being competitive. I was like, I'm not yeah. ruthless. I was like, some of my best friends are opponent on varying teams that I've played against down to the years and we're great pals. But once we cross that white line, I'm going to do everything I can to be as driven as I can to move towards my goals. And I think you're right. Like being competitive shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. It's just once you're not ruthless and like the difference between being assertive as a man and maybe being a bitch as a woman. Again, we just need to, we need to be very careful with the language that we use because it does have an impact. It does have a lasting effect. And I would be quite conscious of that too. Even if you meet somebody and they've lost a lot of weight, how you speak to them 
is really important. Do you say to them, you look great, you look really healthy? Or do you say to them, oh my God, you look so skinny? You know, and then all of a sudden they're going, oh, looking good means looking skinny. And that's what they Mm. hear. Or that could be a trigger for them. You don't know what anybody else is going through. So we do need to be a little bit more mindful of, of how we speak to people. And it's easy to go, oh, that's just so PC. It's not. Because the way it was long ago isn't always the best way either. Like, I'm not about being overly PC at all. But we just, we need to be mindful of the language that we use because it can have an effect and it can have a lasting effect on people if we let it. And I, I, I think it's a fine balance. You know, I, I said at the start there, you know, you're very much about body positive, body image, but it's about body fit. So yeah. I do think that's a fine balance. You know, I mean, it is not good for any organ in your body for you to be overweight and unfit. Mm-hmm. So I think there's often a confusion that being positive about body image is sort of permissive to accepting a body that actually actually really is very, very unhealthy. They're two different things yeah. and I think it can get confused. And one final point actually on that, Sabina, as well, is when it comes to body positivity, we see this movement on social media now and I'm kind of unsure about it if I'm honest because I'm all about people saying I'm, I love my body and you have to love your body and love every part of your body because it's yours. I slightly disagree with that. I think it's about body acceptance rather than body positivity because you're not going to love every part of your body and that's okay. Expecting everybody to love all of their body, it's a very tall order, whereas expecting them or asking them to accept it and then knowing what parts they can improve and then knowing what parts that, you know, that is just what it is. That's really important too, because sometimes we're seeing now everyone sitting in a way that makes them look like they have roles and, you know, and I don't care and I'm a real woman and I've, stretch marks and I have cellulite well to be honest if you didn't think they were a big deal why are you highlighting them in a social media post Mm. to me I'm like that almost what you're saying isn't exactly what you're showing yeah yeah I agree with you and actually what you've just sort of touched on is a form of therapy for change so acceptance and commitment therapy okay and so it's about accepting where you are now and then committing to change nice you know my weight goes up and down but but I am really aware that it's something that really impacts on your health and even your mm-hmm. risk for developing dementia. Midlife obesity makes you more likely to develop dementia in later life. So, And I suppose it's trying to undo some of the damage as well that social media and online and magazines that have been happening for decades. It's not like that just social media came along and suddenly people became conscious of their bodies. Like this has been happening when we opened magazines and, and down to the years, there's always been this pressure to look a certain way and obviously down through the centuries that look and has, has, has altered yeah but and and culturally it changed yeah exactly so it does depend but I think I do welcome the type of movement where people are taking the gloss off the filters of social media and yes. saying you know this is me and, and I have a little bit of eczema and I have a little bit of dry skin or, or cellulite or stretch work and normalizing the things that are normal But I just think we need to not take it to the other extreme then. And that nearly instead of, dare I say it, instead of fat shaming, you're fit shaming, you know, and we don't want to do that either. And like you said, ultimately for me, some made that as a real respect for my body in terms of functionally how it helps me. And also I want to live till I'm 70, 80, you know, 90. Yeah. I don't want to just live till then. I want to live well till then. And you need your body to to support you to then. Um, Thank you so much, Anna. It's been absolutely fabulous talking with you. 
Before you go, I just want to ask you, you've given loads of tips and advice <laughs> kind of throughout. Uh, and I really do say, urge anybody uh, who's on Instagram, go follow Anna G. Cork. I'm going to start doing those little five a day yeah. ones as well. It's a great way to do I it. I put them up actually. I have reels for people. So I do a strive for five reels. It's the five exercises. And again, you just do 60 seconds for each one. And again, it's all about mixing things up, trying new exercises because your body and your mind then don't get complacent. And again, it's about being present because if you're doing any new movement you have to really focus on what you're doing and that means then you're stepping away from whatever stress you had in work or in family so you're getting a triple whammy with exercise and I'm such an advocate for it but when you do the kind of exercise you're talking about you're getting the benefit of the exercise itself mm-hmm. the fitness from for your body your cardiovascular health and, and your brain but your brain is also being challenged because yes. it's having to learn a new and that's so learning is key to keeping your brain healthy because it promotes neuroplasticity exercise on its own actually releases chemicals that actually make it easier for neuroplasticity to occur so there's a chemical called brain derived neurotrophic factor BD DNF. And it's like miracle grow for the brain. Love it. So it actually makes your brain more fertile for growing new connections. So stimulating your brain and learning new things stimulates neuroplasticity. The physical exercise is making the garden fertile, the brain garden, and you can grow and you want more connections and denser connections in your brain to stay healthy. But also when you exercise, you get a release of serotonin, you mm-hmm. get that release of feel good hormones. And then on top of that, it's a great stress buster. It also helps you to sleep better, which is really, really critical for your brain. It's just an absolute all rounder, certainly for me from a brain um, perspective. So it is not just about your body is an instrument, not an ornament, an instrument, not an ornament. Yeah. And it's about what you do with it. And just remember for everybody that there's an exercise out there that you enjoy. You don't have to do something that you don't enjoy. There's so much out there now and there's so much online as well that you just find something, even if, right, I challenge anybody, if you don't like exercise, put your favorite song on and dance for five minutes, nonstop without taking a break. You will be sweating by the end of that five minutes because you will have moved your body. And movement is movement. And if you do something you enjoy, you're far more likely to go back to it again and again. So if you were to pick one one tip for people, what would it be? Okay, I suppose it would follow on from what we were talking around around breaking down goals. Everybody has got goals. And sometimes I would say to people, like, are you a goal setter? Are you a goal getter? So if you want to be a goal getter, it is about looking at your day and breaking it down and saying, how can I build working towards that goal into my day? So your day, 1,440 minutes. If you were to make 1% improvements towards your goal, 1% of your day is just in around 15 minutes. So if you were only to dedicate 15 minutes every day, 1% of your day, you can have the 99% to do whatever you want. 1% of your day goes towards whatever goal you have. In a year, that's over 90 hours. 90 hours to work towards a goal. So whether it's learning a new language, learning to bake, getting fitter. I think sometimes we overwhelm ourselves because we feel we need the hour. We need, you know, but yeah. 15 minutes, just 1% of your day. And I find when I'm struggling to work towards a goal that I have, telling myself it's only 1% of my day ma- makes it more realistic. And if you can be consistent in dedicating that 1%, putting 90 hours towards anything is going to make it a hell of a lot easier to achieve that goal. So that's what I would say is break it up into realistic milestones. Focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. And just take it day by day. And it's like climbing up a mountain. You mightn't have got to the top straight away. But if you look back down, you'll realize just how far you've come. And that can give you a boost too. Like that progress can be motivating. It's not just about hitting the end goal. 
it's about focusing on the progress well to give you the boost. Well, now, isn't Anna Geary just a breath of fresh air? I really hope you enjoyed listening to her as much as I enjoyed chatting to her. Please do check out my new Superbrain blog. I'll be sharing some bonus bits. I'll share some links to Anna Dancing with the Stars and you'll get to see that amazing sculpted back that she developed dancing 10 hours a day. There's also a video of Anna and I having our conversation and lots of other bits and pieces. It is Mental Health Week and the theme for 2021 is nature. So tune in on Thursday for a special episode where I reveal the neuroscience underlying the benefits of spending time in nature. Also, in honour of Mental Health Awareness Week, I teamed up with the Blind Boy podcast and we had an amazing chat about anxiety and brain function and various other issues around the brain and mental health that I am sure that many of you would absolutely love to listen. So go check out the Blind Boy podcast where he talks to a neuroscientist, yours truly. My name is Sabina Brennan and you have been listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. Please also follow me on Instagram at Sabina Brennan and on Twitter at Sabina underscore Brennan. Take care, be well and do make sure that you spend some time in nature. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.